You know, one of the things that's so confusing for us today about the return of the Lord is we all, the only questions I get asked, well, when's it going to happen? Is this event what the Bible's talking about? Is, is this what, what's going to... And my answer is very simple. If you follow me on Facebook, you'd see my answer is very simple. I, I don't try and associate common, the world events of today to what Scripture says because people's been doing that for 2,000 years. And, and it hadn't happened yet. I think when Jesus says that's just for the Father to know and you don't need to worry about it, I shouldn't worry about it. <laughs> So, but the thing that today, that's the biggest thing that people today are concerned about. Well, when's it going to happen? What difference does it make? It's going to happen. Our job is to be ready for it, right? Because see, once it happens, that's it. When Jesus comes back, it's over. And thank God that those that are saved, that have, that have, have accepted that gift that Jesus offers, we're going to be with Him. I don't want to be in that bunch that hasn't. We're going to look today, though, at, at another confusion about these events. Uh, the, we're going to look in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, the Thessalonians were, were confused, not about when Jesus was coming, but about what's going to happen to the brothers and sisters who've already died. That was their concern. They were thinking, well, they've already died, so when Jesus comes back, they're missing out. They're not going to be part of it. What's going to happen to them? See how, how our, our focus has changed? We went from, hey, what's going to happen to our brothers and sisters that's died to, hey, when's it going to be? I'd like to know. We're going to look today here in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4, and th this is probably the most clear and direct scripture in the Bible about what happens when Jesus comes back. It leaves very little to question. Now they don't tell you when because only God knows when and we're not even going to even go down that avenue. And I thought about it as I was preparing this, if I should take a whole section of this about when this is going to happen. No one knows but God. So... I fear it'd just be a waste of time. It's going to end up in a dead-end alley somewhere. So we're just going to talk about the, what's going to happen stuff. Now, if you'll read with me in verses 13 to 15, Paul writes, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Pretty direct answer to the question, right? Now, we're going to look here from verses 16 to 18, and we're going to look at exactly the sequence of events that's going to occur when it happens. Now, this doesn't mean it's going to happen one, two, three. It may all happen just simultaneously, but Paul writes it in a one, two, three arrangement here. So we're going to look at it that way. And the first thing he says in verse 16a is the return. The first thing that has to happen, Jesus has to come back before anything else happens. So he tells us, he says, 
For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. You know what I like about that? He's not sending an angel for us. He's not sending a, a representative for us. Jesus Himself is coming back for His church. Amen. I mean, that, that's, that, that ought to make you feel special. Jesus is that sitting on the throne next to God. He is there in the throne room of God and He is going to get up once again and He is going to leave that throne room to come back for us. I don't know. Yeah, I know the, the story of Lazarus when Jesus raised him from the dead. I think if I was Lazarus and I was in heaven and, and, and I heard Jesus calling, I'd have to give it some serious thought. <laughs> Do I want to leave heaven to go back there? But we obey the commands of our Lord. Amen. Jesus is going to leave heaven once again. And also, not just that Jesus Himself coming. But you, know, you see, a lot of these movies about the Messiah returning, it's always that, that He's back and, and, and no one knows He's here because it's all quiet and we don't know Jesus is back and then suddenly He raises to power. Not the way it's going to happen, folks. That's the way the Antichrist is going to gain power. But Jesus, when He comes back, He's coming back in the clouds. There's going to be a shout from the archangel. There's going to be a trumpet call. The whole world will know the very second He comes back, there will be no question. You won't have to wonder, is Jesus back? I heard a rumor. No, you won't have to because to start with, you won't be here. Because when He comes back, we get to go home. Yes. So you'll know. There won't be any second guessing. There won't be any wondering. See, the first time He came, He came as a little baby. Born in a manger, out in a stable. He came back as the Lamb of God is when He came the first time. He came as a sacrifice for your sins. He did not come the first time to judge the world but to save it. The second time he comes back, it's going to be a little different. Because the second time he comes back in power, he comes back as the Lion of Judah. The second time he comes back to judge the world. The question is, are we going to be ready for that judgment? Yeah, that's what we have to wonder about. Because when he comes back, there's not going to be a giant revival meeting and all these people who's lived like the, like the devil come, come to Jesus all of a sudden. When he comes back... We're gone. Whoever's left, you got to deal with consequences. You know, just like we try and tell uh, tell these kids that that when you make a bad decision, you have to live with the consequences of that decision. You know, God gives us examples throughout Scripture on that. You know, David sinned and sinned and sinned, but he always went and asked for forgiveness. God forgave him, but David still had to live with the consequences of his sin. See, so, so we, we don't get away from our consequences, but we do get forgiven by God if we ask for it. So we have to, to think about that. You know, it's funny, since the first time he came, way back then in Roman-controlled Israel, the first time he came, technology was pretty bad. 
I mean, the Romans were excellent. They had built aqueducts and they had built roads and, and then a lot of their a lot of their technology has been lost over the centuries, but technology was not where it is today. Our technology has grown tremendously. We're able to understand things we never could have understood 2,000 years ago. We're able to, to see down layers and layers and layers into, into a cell to see what's there. We're able to look out into the stars and see things out there so far away that man had never seen them before. Our technology has grown tremendously. But at the same rate that our technology has grown, the morals of mankind has deteriorated even more. The, the world has gotten, has gotten so bad that, that we are in a time now that what the Bible says is that there will come a time when what is good will be called evil and what is evil will be called good. I think we live in that time, don't you? you know, we, we murder unborn children and, and call it a right of choice. We allow, we allow same-sex marriage and, and call it equal rights. You know... I think we live in a time when evil is called good. And for those of us who stand up for God's Word and, and try to defend the Scripture, we're called, we're called the bad people. We're saying that we're trying to force our beliefs off on someone else when in turn it seems to me like it's those people trying to force their beliefs on us. And make us change what God has put down in writing for thousands of years and, and change all of that to meet with modern day interpretation of what's right and wrong. I think we're living in those days, folks. The United States has already murdered more babies than all of the peoples of the promised land before Israel got there had done. And that was one of the reasons why God took the land away from them. They were sacrificing their children. They sacrificed thousands. We've killed millions. We are living in those last days. And I don't care how you interpret it, and I don't know if the last days are going to last another thousand years. I don't know. I don't predict the future. But what I do know is that today is matching the description of the end days that Jesus gives us. In World War I, there was a chaplain. His name was Studdard Kennedy. He was also a poet. Now, if you don't remember, most of you aren't old enough to remember World War I, but if you remember reading about it or studying it, you would, un you would know that World War I was probably one of the, the most uh, uh, deadly wars that we ever fought. Chemical warfare was the standard. World War I is one of the reasons why there's so many rules against using chemical weapons. Chaplain Kennedy wrote, after 2,000 years of saying mass, we've got as far as poison gas. After 2,000 years of hearing God's word taught, 2,000 years of prayer, 2,000 years of telling us that we should love one another the way Jesus loves us, we had progressed all the way up to killing each other with poison gas. When Jesus returns, it's going to be his grand finale. You've been to fireworks shows, right? You know at the end of the show, there's always the grand finale when they shoot off and just fill the sky with fireworks. 
And you know it's the end because there's so much there. When Jesus returns, that's his grand finale. You'll know he's here. There will be no doubt. So what happens? He returns. What's the first thing that happens? Paul writes in verse 16b, First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Mm. Yeah, I hear people have asked questions about, well, pastor, is it okay to get cremated? Sure it is. Yeah. I mean, do we really want to limit God's power and say He can only bring back those who were buried? No. God's going to bring back those who died at sea. He's going to bring back those who were cremated. He's going to bring back those who were buried. He's going to bring back those that were blown to bits in a war. He can bring them all back. He made Adam out of a pile of sand. Think he's going to have any problem making uh, everybody back? And you know what's good news about this? That new body that happens then, it's not these same old bodies full of pain and aches that we got now. We get body 2.0. That's, that's the, the body that comes back with no pain, no suffering, no arthritis, no bad hips, no bad knees, no allergies, no, no sickness. It's going to be a body that is perfected because these bodies that we're in now, believe it or not, when God made us, He made our bodies to last an eternity. Something bad happened in Genesis chapter 3. Sin came in. And sin is like a cancer. And sin will get into that perfect body that God made you, just like a cancer, and it starts eating it away. We get that perfect body back. A body that is so wonderful. A glorified body that, that will be shining from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Remember the transfiguration up on the mountain? They were all shining. That's shining with the righteousness of Christ, with the glory of God on them. One day we'll have a body just like that. I'm looking forward to that. I do. I look forward to that when, when I can get out of bed in the morning and it doesn't take several minutes to make everything move in the right way. You guys, some of you might know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> mm. Julie laughs at me some mornings. I kind of stagger around a little bit and I first get up trying to just... Make it all work. Hey, we all get old. Our bodies wear out. They weren't meant to, but they do. Because they've all been infected with that disease. <clears throat> and see, at the same time that, that our bodies are being resurrected from the grave, our spirits are coming back with God, with Jesus when He comes. Because see, Scripture says that the moment we fall asleep here, we wake up there. Our spirit is there with Him. And when He comes back, all those, all those spirits of those Christians who have died will be coming back with Him. And all their bodies will be coming up out of the ground and they'll meet. And then your resurrection will be complete. What a sight to see. I, I just I can just vision my mind all these spirits coming back behind Jesus and all these bodies coming up and them just meeting together and then there's glorified bodies floating around in the clouds praising God. I can't wait. You know I should be sitting there. We all should be sitting here just thinking, oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait for that to happen. 
But see, Paul is giving... See, the Thessalonians' biggest concern was that those believers in Christ that have died are going to miss out. So Paul comes back and not only does he say they're not going to miss out, but they get priority treatment because those who have already died, they're the first ones to be resurrected and reunited with their spirits. So that means that us that are still alive, we're going to see some of that. We're going to get to see some of that. I think that's going to be great. Ben Franklin penned his own epitaph. And it was, it's kind of a funny thing that, you know, Ben Franklin was not a Christian. He never once made an announcement that he was a Christian, he accepted Christ. So he was not a Christian as far as, as history knows. But in his own epitaph, he wrote this. The body of B. Franklin, printer. Like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here. Food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. Mm. Sounds like maybe Ben Franklin was influenced by the words of Paul, don't you? Because yes. that old wore-out body is going to be amended and corrected by the author, and it's going to be a brand new body. Mm. Now, when Christ comes back, the resurrection happens. The second thing that Paul says happened is a word that we call the rapture, which is nowhere in the Bible, but we call it the rapture. Verse 17, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There we will be, then we'll be of the Lord forever. Okay, that, that word rapture that we all use and everything, and, and some people even argue with you that it's in the Bible. It's not. The word is not in It's a Greek word, and, uh, or it's a Latin word, and it simply means to be taken away or transported. That's all it means. So if you already have died and in the grave when Christ returns, you're resurrected. If you're alive, you're raptured or you're transported. I always get visions of Star Trek when I read that. Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, we all just kind of, shh, and we're gone. <laughs> so the, the rapture comes after the resurrection. We, who are still alive, will meet the Lord in the clouds. We'll be right behind all those that have been resurrected. And we'll all have glorified bodies when we get there. Amen. See, we'll, we'll be alive when ours are glorified in us, with us. I, that, that part just amazes me. That say The fact that people always ask about, uh, about, well, how about the people who were lost at sea? Well, how about this and how about... God, God's all-powerful. He doesn't need to have some of your, uh, some of your dust... To remake you. He can just remake you. It's so wonderful. Now there's one thing about these two things. The rapture and the resurrection that have in common. Only those who are in Christ are part of this deal. If you're not in Christ, you're just a spectator. 
probably a very scared one because all of a sudden you're going to realize that all those things you heard in church is true. And you're still here. And you know what's coming. There was a little um, 60 second thing on or maybe two minute deal on Facebook the other day about the, uh, the rapture. And that church full of people, the preacher's preaching and he's preaching about the return that Jesus could come. Right? And that was it. Boom. People's gone. And then there's a scattered group still in the church looking around. Wouldn't you hate to be in that group? Oh. Not the group to be in. Mm. See, when, when the rapture occurs, it's just going to be like in Egypt on that last plague when God sent the, the angel of death throughout Egypt and anyone who did not have the blood of Christ on their doorpost lost their firstborn. See, when the rapture comes, anyone who does not have the blood of Christ on their heart doesn't go. See, God has given us a warning just like He did way back then. He gave the people a warning. He said, hey, I'm sending the angel of death. In order to, to avoid it, you have to put the blood of a lamb on your doorpost and death will not enter your home. Today, today the difference is that, that we have to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to be covered in the blood of Christ as, as some phrase it, that it is that blood there that when the rapture comes, anyone with that blood on their heart gets to go and anyone that does not have it stays here. It's that simple. So a lot of these people, and we know from Scripture that the church has people in it who are weeds. They're not Christians. They're there, placed there by Satan to get in the way of what God's doing. And they look just like Christians. They act like Christians. They talk like Christians. But on that day of rapture, they'll be the ones still sitting in the pew. And the rest of us will be gone. See, it's one of those things that we need to make sure where we stand with God. Not just think we got it right. Not just hope we got it right. We've got to know when the Scripture says it, it is, you will know that you know that you know. If you don't have that much assurance on your salvation, the only place you need to be is somewhere on your knees talking to God. Because you don't want to be here after the rapture's over. You know, in talking about death and resurrection and rapture, a lot of times people think, man, that's, that's pretty scary stuff because we don't like to talk about death. Let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, it ought to be something you wrap your arms around. Because where you're going is a whole lot better than where you are. But if you look at verse 18, Paul is telling this not to scare people, but so they can encourage each other with these words. It's meant as encouragement. It's been as for those who believe, for those who know that Jesus is the Messiah and have given their heart to Him, these are words of encouragement knowing where you're going. How many in here take off on a trip and say, I don't know where we're going, we're just going to drive, we run out of gas, that's where we'll be. Usually we know where we're going, don't we? Paul's telling us where we're going. He's telling us what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. He's telling us that we are going to meet Him in the sky and that we will be with Him forever. That's giving us a destination. 
Now we know. That means as Christians, we ought to embrace that. We ought to say, thank you, Jesus. We know. We know where we're going. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to guess about it. We don't have to hope. We know. We just have to wait for that day to happen. Mm. So I was wondering, that this is a comfort that when someone in Christ dies, we shouldn't mourn like those without hope. I know that's hard to do when we lose a loved one. We can't help but mourn. That's a part of the process. But we should, in our mourning, we should be thankful that they're in heaven now. We should be thankful that, that, that their spirit is with Jesus. And that one day we'll be there with them. See, that ought to give us hope. That ought to give us hope. See, we shouldn't say goodbye when someone dies, it's a Christian. We should be like the Germans and say, Auf Wiedersehen. Which means until we see you again. Death is not something for Christians to fear. Last week, we were told that they've taken Dad off of chemo and they put him on hospice. They don't, they're not sure how much longer he's got, but it's not long. And I'd already had this prepared before I got that news. You know what kind of assurance this gives me? Because, see, Dad and I had this talk. And I asked him straight out, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he said, I do. And we prayed. See, I know that whether my dad has a week left or six months left, I know where he's going. I've got that assurance that he's going to be there. And I thought, how appropriate for God to have had me write this weeks ago and it be today, just shortly after we find out he's going on hospice, that I'm giving this message. God's timing is amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. See, when a Christian dies, the moment they close their eyes on this earth, they take their last breath, they're standing in the presence of God. And you know what you're going to hear? Jesus isn't going to say, hey, good to see you, Norma. He's going to say, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Let me show you your room. <laughs> Can you not wait for those words? I ask you this morning, are you in Christ? Not just do you think you're in Christ. I hope I'm in Christ. I think I said the right prayer. Do you know you're in Christ? You see, when Jesus comes back, there's not a second chance. When you take your last breath, there's not a second chance. When you're gone... If you're not in Christ, there's only one other place you're going. Are you ready for that consequence? Let's all stand. I'd like for you to, if you would, join me in prayer at the altar. 
And Glenn, if you would, would you close this, please? Our Father in heaven, we just come to the throne of grace this morning. We come just as we are with all of our faults and failures. But we come to the throne of grace because we love you. Father, it's going to be a glorious day when you come again. Whether it be today or a thousand years from today, what a glorious day that will be. We thank you today for hearing our prayer and the cry of our hearts. We thank you for those answers to prayer that you've given us and for those that are yet to come. We're so thankful today that you loved us even while we were yet sinners and your love drew us close to your heart. And we want to thank you today for the time when we said yes and yielded to the wooing of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for adopting us into the family of God. and for helping us to live lives that are pleasing to you. Father, we have so much to be thankful for today. But that one, that one blessing that stands above all the others is your gift of salvation. We thank you for this time that we can come into your house, the house of prayer. That we can pour our hearts out to you in love and adoration. Father, we thank you so much for blessing us. our families. And now as we go from this place, I would ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. For I ask these favors in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.